1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: hello and welcome to the karma you podcast this is chloe Brotheridge, hypnotherapist and coach and the author of the anxiety solution and brave new girl on this week's podcast i'm talking to the psychotherapist and author philippa perry she's the author of the number one sunday times bestseller the book you wish your parents had read and she's appeared on TV recently on Celebsco Dating for E4, as well as on programmes for Channel 4 and BBC 4. So this podcast is for you, whether you're a parent yourself or whether you might become a parent in the future, you just want to gain some insights into how to improve your relationships with your children or just with your partner or people in general. And she shares her wisdom on how to communicate better, how to foster positive relationships, And how to, crucially, not pass on too much of your stuff to your own kids. And so we discuss why this work is so important right now. We talk about how to argue and not argue effectively with your child or your partner. We talk about how to own your feelings. And also how phone addiction affects us and our children. So next week I'm starting a very special series for the podcast, The Brave New Girl Takeover. And for men or non-binary folks that are listening, you are obviously welcome to listen as well. We're going to be talking to women about how to build courage and confidence. And we're really going to be going below the surface of people that we consider to be confident, people that we might consider to have it all figured out. And actually, are we talking to people about how Everyone is struggling, everyone doubts themselves at times, imposter syndrome is rife, even amongst the most successful amongst us, and really teasing out the tools and strategies and mindset to help us all to grow our confidence and be the bravest, brightest, boldest versions of ourselves. So stay tuned for next week's episode for that. As always, I want to invite you over to my website, karmayou.com forward slash free, And you can download a free anxiety busting toolkit and I'll also be getting in touch with latest podcasts and offers and events if you sign up there. So it's karmau.com forward slash free for all those free resources. So let's get into the episode with Philippa Perry. This podcast is sponsored by Sweaty Betty. With beautiful and high-performance activewear from bomb sculpting leggings to supportive sports bras, Sweaty Betty has you covered for every single sport. From the gym to the yoga studio to, let's face it, relaxing or working from home, you will often find me wearing my favourite activewear brand, Sweaty Betty. Their bomb sculpting leggings have become my new favourites. I have to say, I feel really good in them they just cut beautifully. And best of all, their leggings are built to last. They use high quality and durable fabrics. I actually have a pair of Sweaty Betty leggings from a couple of years ago that I still use and love. So Sweaty Betty are offering listeners 20% off when you enter the promo code CALMAYOU on their website. So you can head over to sweatybetty.com forward slash podcasts and enter the code CALMAYOU, that's C-A-L-M-E-R-Y-O-U, and you get 20% off. Definitely check out their stuff. I think you're gonna love it so thank you so much for joining me today really really excited to have this opportunity to speak with you um i loved your book thank you and it's become a big topic of conversation in my house and it has been actually for the last few years especially since i read your book about how to not pass on our stuff to our children because me and my partner are sort of thinking about probably should have children at some point get around to that and, you know, this has just come at the perfect time, and it seems, obviously, that it's really resonating with readers. It's been a Sunday Times bestseller, so congratulations on Thank that. Thank
1: you. you. will pass on your stuff to your children. Oh, yes. You? Well, <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's, no, there's nothing, you, nothing you can do about that. It's great if you don't pass on perfectionism, mm. because um, that is a, a pressure that doesn't really help anyone.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely gonna be. Unless need you're be aware a master
1: baker. Yeah. <laughs> apparently <laughs> apparently cakes have to be baked perfection. I prefer the rustic look myself. Yeah. But, you know.
2: <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Well definitely want to talk about that some more. Can you tell us a bit about the book and why you think it's important at this time okay. to be aware
1: of this? I wrote the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did because I really would have wanted to have read it when I was thinking of having a baby. I really would have wanted to know what it was like having a baby. What is this thing it, about about things like um, postnatal depression? It seems that on the one hand, you're given a picture of everything being all about flowers and meadows and playing and making daisy chains and having fun and on the other hand on of, of, of Crippling postnatal depression and the drudgery and the work of it and There's nothing really about the relationship You have with your children because the whole point of having children is to have a relationship with them And they have a relationship with you and the most important thing in anyone's life is the relationship especially before they can even remember it the formative relationship they have with each parent and there isn't very much out there there's an awful lot of how to be a mummy how to be a daddy but there isn't very much about what it is and what it is is a relationship and we grow and form in relationships so how can we make that relationship the best relationship we can make it, you know, without being a perfectionist about it. And the great thing is about the answer is that your kid requires you to be authentic. I mean, nice, kind, warm, and authentic. And we kind of know that, but nobody's sort of spelt it out. And the other thing is that we also know that kids need our company, they need warmth, they need our loving touch, they need our physical present, they need to be understood, they need to be got. We sort of know all this. But then, when we're trying to do it, somehow it's too much. And we explode, we snap, we shout, we, we hide, we run away from them, we try and palm them off, we try and push them away. So there we are with all these good intentions and yet there's a feeling in us of like I can't take any more children right now sometimes, you know, when they're clambering all over you mm-hmm. because they just want, want you. So I was very interested to unpick that and what that's about and what was happening there. So that my first chapter is all about that. It's all about what stops us being the parents we actually want to be. And then the other great thing that gets in the way you know apart from our own limits is um, us not being able to bear our children being anything other than utterly gloriously happy the whole time and if they're not happy we take that as uh, a telling off or um, we think we should scold them into happiness or distract them from whatever they're feeling rather than just being with them where they are. Um, In order to develop a capacity for happiness, we need to feel acceptable and seen and met in all of our feelings. And it's so simple that, and it seems so kind of obvious But we're so anxious for our children to be happy that we kind of almost push them away when they're not.
2: That's so interesting, isn't it? Because do you think we do that with our own emotions as well? We can't deal with our own negative emotions. Yeah, I
1: think we're getting not as good at dealing with emotions that are commonly called as negative. I don't think there's such things as a negative emotion. All emotions have got their, their their feelings have got their purpose, really. Um, But yes, I mean, What we tend to do three things with feelings. We tend to repress them, push them down, pretend they're not there, turn our back on them, put them in a box. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Or we think if we don't do that, we'll be hysterical and they'll be the boss of us and uh, we'll be led by the nose by them and can be completely at their mercy and become hysterical. Or there is the middle way, which is acknowledging Noticing, being aware of all our feelings, but being able to contain them so that we feel them, we know what they are, but we can process them so they don't run us. We can use them, um, f- you know, like employees telling us what's going on with us and what we need to do, rather than as our boss that, that, that is um, telling us to stay in bed and never get up or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, what I like in the first part of the book, you really go into how we can manage our own emotions and not... Yeah, because
1: we need to help soothe somebody who's, when, you know, when a baby's born, um, they require you to be the container for their feelings. They can't contain their own feelings. And um, so in order to be able to do that, obviously we have to be able to be a
2: container for our
1: feelings as well as the baby's
2: feelings. Do, do you think that modern parenting is is adding to this or has it always been this what way it, what, what is modern parenting well I'm, I'm thinking particularly about maybe the people listening that that have those maybe high standards of themselves where they feel like they failed if their child is unhappy or yeah. they have to um, I don't know there's a lot of kind of pressure pressure to do things pressure to go to lots of after school clubs or I oh, don't know do if that's think?
1: modern parenting. I think that's just parenting. Yeah. Um, what do I think of what?
2: Well, do you think things have gotten worse recently? In terms I'm not. Of a, things th- th- I'm, not, I'm, I'm
1: not a historian. Mm. Um, uh, no, I don't think things have got worse. I think things have got a bit better. Okay, think. that's good to know. I think we are better. We're be- becoming better at acknowledging our child's feelings. It's just that we're much better at it when they're happy feelings than they are when. Uh, a child is unhappy, but I think we are getting better at it. I think we've stopped saying, don't be silly, and we've started saying, tell me a bit more about that. I, th- I think my generation is, is, is better than my parents' generation, and the generation after me is probably better than my generation. Because we all look back and think, well, I'm not going to do that to them. <laughs> like, for instance, I think uh, physical punishment is much, much, much less than it was. I think people realise that trying to solve a problem with violence is just giving a message that violence is okay, which we don't want to do. I think people are getting that.
2: Definite progress then. Okay, that's yeah, good to I know. So. I think it's easy to get into this mindset of, oh, the modern world is, you know, terrible. It better.
1: We've always done that. that. That is something that is, um, you know, if you read old 16th century tracks, um, they'll be telling you that things are much worse now than they were in the 15th century
2: (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i think i suppose one of the things for me that this book seems to be doing is is educating people because i think a lot of people don't realize how much our childhood does impact in later life
1: yeah i mean there are lots of
2: people that do do that and blame their parents for everything but then people that are kind of surprised oh actually i didn't realize that yeah we don't realize that maybe we've
1: we've been handed down some of these dynamics that aren't very useful. For for instance, don't let them win. That's a run for your own back. Mm -hmm. And uh, these kind of sayings are are really not useful. So you can get locked into sort of mutual coercive cycles where you and the child, even though you are actually on the same side, are both trying to win something. And it's just an unhelpful concept that's very ingrained into our culture. So I am pick the winning and losing dynamic and uh, tell people how not to play it.
2: Because one thing you talk about is fact tennis. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I actually found myself this morning playing fact tennis with my partner about who had like, had a worse night's sleep and who yes. was going to make the breakfast. And But I slept three hours, but you did this. and uh, You both slept more than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Play this. <laughs> Who's the worst off? Therefore, who requires the most sympathy? Yeah. But if you look underneath that, you could both acknowledge we both sound very tired, and I think we both need to be very gentle with each other rather than fight as yeah. to who is though the love and sympathy is a limited resource that uh, only has you know so much length. Whereas you can both be really sympathetic to each other for not sleeping.
2: That would be much better. Be much that would more be more helpful, far, wouldn't it? Because...
1: <laughs> Um, yeah, what I mean by fact tennis is that you know when you want you, you you've got one person wants the washing up done and the other person wants to leave it. So when you've got a thing like that, people start sort of piling on facts as to why one way is better than the other way, and then the person who uh, runs out of facts first has lost the argument. And the other one feels triumphant, but it's not a loving situation because they're triumphant at the expense of the person they love most in the world, you know, their partner or their child. Um, yes, so rather than deal with the content of what's been said, look as well at the feelings underneath the content. For example, suppose you had taken your kid to a theme park, and the very next day um, uh, he comes up to you and he goes, we never go out Now there is a kid going we never go out when he went to a theme park yesterday. So it is a saint that doesn't say
2: but we went to Legoland
1: yesterday, you ungrateful child. <laughs> you know that's but that doesn't really help. Mm. It doesn't help that's going back to winning and losing again. What we've got to do is address the feelings. You know, even poets have difficulty expressing their feelings. Um, So you go, you sound bored and fed up, what would you like to do? And then the kid might say something like, I'd like to go back to Legoland again. And then you say something like, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? And then you have a moment of connection. This is what we need to be seeking, moments of connection rather than moments of winning. So it's not a moment of squashing the kid down because he is wrong and we go out quite frequently. It's a moment of, how are you feeling right now? Oh, I get, yeah. It's not about downing tools and going off to the theme park again. Mm-hmm. It's not about giving people what they want in life. I mean, children want to swim, swim with penguins and fly to the moon. You can't give them what they want. Actually, most of the time, you can't give them what they want. But you can be really sympathetic, like, oh, that was fun, wasn't it? You can be really sympathetic when you say no. It's like the kid that goes, "Can I have a new computer?" You don't go, "No, you
2: can't." You go,
1: "That's a good question." You know, <laughs> yeah. "No, you
2: can't." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know who the quote is by, but it's, "You can either be right or you can be happy."
1: Oh, that is a that is a psychotherapist. Um, fall back to on when you're doing couples counseling (laughs) you have a choice here you can be right or you can stay together which 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 do you want yeah we love that one
2: yeah i need to remember that next time i'm tempted to play fact tennis um just going back to this this idea of passing things on to our children or hopefully not doing that too much yeah you talk about, you you encourage us to ask ourselves, where does that feeling come from? And try to investigate where yeah. the feelings are from, rather yeah. than... Yeah. So if I'm feeling angry and I'm you know, shouting at someone, actually, you know, my mum was angry about me about this thing, and yeah. I just playing out that same... Well, yeah, a
1: charged, I'm, a charged feeling is very interesting. So if you're feeling something, like you're suddenly furious with your kid, with your partner... It seems to come out of nowhere. Um, I I can remember once I was watching United Challenge with my family, and I said the answer, and then the contestant said the answer, and I said I said that, and they said no, you didn't. I was absolutely furious because being not believed when I was telling the truth. Just hit a nerve with me, so I completely overreacted. My my husband and child were going, "Whoa, <laughs> where did that come from?" It came from the past. Quite often, when we are um, when we think we're dealing with something that's happening in the present, we're actually responding to the past. Yeah. And um, so I, there's an exercise in the book, and I say, next time you feel a really charged reaction towards something. Instead of acting on that, think, when did I last feel this? When did I last feel this? And then if you can trace it back for as long as you can trace it back, you probably won't find the origins of it. But if you notice how often you respond in that way, you'll go, oh, this is my habitual response. This is what I'm in the habit of responding indignantly in these situations. So it's got as much to do with it being a habit than it has to do with the situation. And I can change that habit.
2: Yeah, so when you notice that kind of massive response or trigger, that charge, charge, yeah, that charge you know. that's a sign that actually maybe this goes back somewhere else uh, yeah. and it's not actually about the situation. And, and one of the most, most charged
1: feelings uh, that only our kids can trigger is when they somehow remind us of when we felt clumsy, incompetent, unlikable, um, getting it wrong, very, very vulnerable. When we felt like that, and the kid's getting, and it just almost hits a note within you, and rather than feel those feelings of vulnerability and incompetence again, rather than empathize with the kid, we'll get angry. To protect ourselves, from re-feeling what it felt like at their age. And I think, I talked at the beginning of the podcast about sometimes you just want to push your kid away. That is usually the reason why. It's not that you want to push your kid away, it's that you want to push away the trigger for what is you're threatening to feel. I mean, it, you, know, you don't want those feelings to come up again. So you, you, you're pushing the trigger away rather than the kid.
2: That's so interesting, isn't it? How it's just getting to that deeper level of what's really going on. And, yeah. and um, so, what would you suggest for someone in that moment? To...
1: If you need to give your kid any guidance, you know, any boundaries, any lines, if you do it when you're angry, they'll hear the anger and not the teaching. So it's not the great time to do it anyway. So. It's fine for you to go, I need to think about this,
2: Mm.
1: rather than just reacting. So that's what I suggest if you feel this real charged thing, "Ah, ah, ah," think, either say out loud, wait a minute, I need some time, or just take the time.
2: Have a little time out, basically. Yeah, it's
1: the parent that needs the time out. Yeah,
2: <laughs> And I think that's probably relevant, you know, for people, even if they don't have children, for their relationships anyway. Yeah. Ooh, and I, I yeah. notice a lot of myself taking on board things from my mum, taking it out on my partner, things about yeah. tidying. That my mum used to always get really angry about that I have had a pattern of unleashing on my partner. And I've really, in the last couple of years, been working to change that, but yeah. still notice that trigger coming up, even having done quite a lot of work on it. So what is your trigger? So it's, it's about... Um, being the only one to do all the tidying, and this is my mum's mm. pattern at home, my dad not helping out, and if my partner is not helping, and to be honest, it's certain times of the month where this really gets to me, but it kind of triggers this rage, I and mean, I don't know if it's, um, mm. I feel like I'm feeling it for all of, huma- like all the females who have yeah. been in that situation. It and you've probably
1: got higher cleanliness standards. Oh, yeah. a lot of us. I mean, <laughs> look around this kitchen, it would drive you mad, wouldn't it? And yet it's not got to, you know, unhygienic levels.
2: This doesn't look too bad, to be honest. This looks fine. Yeah, this but on the other hand,
1: there's some washing up there, there's some croissant crumbs on the floor, <laughs> there's some things that haven't been put away over there. The tulips are on the way out, and there's petals falling all over the place. It's. I it, am actually slightly uncomfortable with it, mm. but... If I wait till my husband's uncomfortable with it, he'll tidy it. (laughs) So I have to go through several layers of discomfort. Yeah. And then he'll go, and he'll empty the washer and put the, the other stuff in.
2: I heard a study that men's because of their testosterone, they have a single focus I don't know if this is actually true or not but they they're on a mission to make a cup of tea so they don't see the dishwasher needs anything whereas women because of our more female hormones or our female brains we notice everything so That's we bollocks. see is that bollocks. bollocks I'm just trying to rationalize um, this.
1: have a look at <laughs> Gina Rippon's book um, oh this is called the gendered brain by professor Gina Rippon And um, it's 30 years of research put into one uh, easy to digest volume about how our thinking that there was a male brain and a female brain is actually erroneous. And um, it's culture. Biologically, um, uh, the female brain is like a little bit lighter. In weight but that doesn't mean anything mm, no. in fact our male and female brains have been getting lighter since uh, for about the last 40,000 years as we've become more um, sociable we've got more shared brain power or mm. something but we don't really know why our brains are lighter.
2: Okay so the reason that my boyfriend is not so good at tidying is the way just, he's raised, yes.
1: Yeah. Or the, ra- the way all boys and all girls are raised, mm-hmm. rather than the way he was mm-hmm. raised. So it's it's in the culture.
2: Yeah.
1: Great. Anyway, no, that's a myth, mate. Okay. All it's right. The culture. We need
2: to change the culture. Then we need to change the yes. culture. Yes, we need to read
1: this book by Gina Rippon and change the culture.
2: Okay. Sounds sounds easy. Yeah. Easy. We'll start here. Um, can we talk about what happens when we're addicted to our phones? Which, let's face it, most of us are. I think um, and we're kind of in into Yeah. nightclub. Um, it's interesting,
1: yeah. Since I've published my book, I keep checking to see where it is on the Amazon rankings, right? So I keep, every hour, I pick up my phone and see if I've gone up a place or down. And then I have an emotional reaction to whatever the answer is. And um, I noticed that now I've got a pull. Because I have a sort of emotional reaction to the answer, I have a pull and then I think, oh, I want to see who's talking about my book on Instagram. So I search it and I search it on Twitter. Then I realise I actually haven't done anything of, of, of any use for the last half an hour or so. I completely pulled to, to check how popular I am since I've published my book. And I sort of tell myself, you know, this is work. You know, I'm promoting my book, blah, blah, blah. But actually, no, I'm just addicted now to the to the, um, whatever hit my emotions, my my hormones are given me when I see I've gone up or down or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I how long has the put me out four weeks and I've taken myself in hand now I've just stopped there and go cold turkey and it's really difficult the pull is I, I've, just, I've just taken all the axle from my phone because the pull was like it was so strong it was difficult to resist now we all have a massive need for connection and contact, and contact pretty much all the time sort of low level, need a bit of contact. And being with a kid or kids can be very lonely because they're not on the same page as you a lot of the time. You have to do all the emotional work. When you're with a kid, it is you that is carrying the emotional load of that particular relationship until they get to be about four or five or six and then then it gets a little bit more equal. And so it, it, do, it is quite lonely making, so you do want to reach for your phone. But remember that pull that you have to get contact and connection for your phone, your baby and your toddler is feeling that times 100 for contact and connection with you. And they are wiring up their brain in relationship with you. If they see you continually preferring a phone to them, that might impact their self-esteem in a way which I don't think is desirable. And also, um, they'll see you'll getting contact through the phone, so they'll want screen contact. So, I mean, uh, primary school teachers are reporting that language skills when children uh, come to school for the first time have dropped off considerably since the advent of mobile phones. So I think... We should keep them in our bags and only look at them when the kids are asleep. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I mean, kids hate it when you're on the phone anyway, because, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> you know, so we should just keep it to a, a minimum because they really do need us. Now, people say, well, they've got to learn. I go, yeah. And the way they learn not to pester you is when they can just take it for granted that you're there and you're responsive and they don't have to work too hard for it. When a child has to work too hard for attention, even negative attention is better than no attention, that's when we train them to be a pain. So put the phone away. Goody, they need yeah. so much attention when they're little.
2: It's amazing, isn't it, how your phone can kind of suck you in to almost being oblivious to the whole other world. So you could have it. A- a child, trying to get your attention and not beware of that because you're so... I mean, do you ever feel like,
1: how many people have downloaded my podcast this week? That's
2: interesting. (laughs) It's like a hit of... It's a hit. hit of rewards that you get hooked on, definitely. And the other thing is, you you write a
1: book, it took me like three and a half years to write my book, right? And then I get some praise at the end of it, which is nice, or reaction of some sort anyway, which is nice. You do a tweet in about 30 seconds... I like straight away. It's amazing. <laughs> so, what did they put all that
2: effort in for? Yeah, yeah. So it's that fast, fast on demand rewards that we're so hooked on. But yes. just keep the phone in the bag, keep the believe phone. Believe the apps,
1: even. Yeah.
2: Yeah, if you don't
1: give a child attention, they become a pain. I'm saying that because my cat now is trying to make as much noise <laughs> to interrupt this podcast <laughs> as possible.
2: Getting needy. We're too, we're too into the technology. Can can you tell us a little bit about how we can own our own feelings? And an example that you used that I really liked was about um, using I statements. Oh, right.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Kids need your undying, unconditional, positive regard and love. They need you to be crazy about them with love. And... You might want to give them everything they want because you love them so much, but you're only human and you'll get tired. So you will need to put down boundaries. And where you put the boundary down is before your limit. Your limit is when you lose it. So you put the boundary down before you reach your limit so everybody stays nice and safe and calm. How you put a boundary down is by defining yourself and not the child or the person you're putting the boundary down with so you don't say you're tired go to bed you say i'm tired and i can't go to bed until i put you in bed so we're going to bed now um, no one wants to be defined by somebody else um, it, i mean it's nice if you get a compliment but Nobody wants to be told what they are like you know if you have that sugar you get way out of control so you're not having it no say instead i'm not comfortable with so much sugar being eaten so i'm putting it away it's about you so don't pretend it isn't and somebody said to me well it's an objective fact children shouldn't have more than one hour 57 minutes of screen time a day so surely I can say you've had enough and remove the screen, I went no you go, I'm not comfortable with you using the screen that much so I'm taking it away you don't say you've seen quite enough
2: yeah, it's just that little shift, isn't it, that makes such a difference in language. I mean, you,
1: you, very, you can do it with babies, even if they don't understand you yet, to get into the habit of it, and then you do it with young children. But when they get teenager, it's really important. Because I can remember saying to my daughter when she asked me whether she... No, she told me she was going to be getting the night bus from Peckham to central London age 13. It'll be fine. And I said, you know, you probably can do that. You're really good at buses and uh, you're very mature and responsible. Trouble is, I'm not ready to let you do that yet. So you're just going to have to wait for me. So that won't be happening. Mm -hmm. The boundaries there, and of course in my head, my mother was shouting, you are way too young to get the night bus on your own. But maybe she isn't. It's me. It's me that wants to... No, that's too scared to let her get the night bus. So it's me I have to define, not her.
2: And I suppose it's less likely to trigger the other person's defensiveness cause you're because you're Of course, it's sort
1: of like, oh, God, mum can't cope with me um, being alone on public transport in the middle of the night. Ugh. I mean, that's annoying. But not as annoying as being told you're immature when you feel yourself not to be. Mm. Now, that is infuriating, and that is going to lead to a worse relationship that than there needs to be.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think another um, thing that I made a note on for my own personal information was about not saying to someone, child or your partner, for example, you make me so angry. Yeah. It's it's only your own feelings of saying, I'm feeling angry yeah. about this. it's not you make me anything. Mm-hmm.
1: You wind me up. No, you're winding yourself up yeah. in relationship with something that's <laughs> going on, possibly an old trigger from the past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We quite often think we're having relationships with other people when we're just having a relationship in our own head with ourselves. We, <laughs> do, we all do that a lot. That's
2: interesting. Do you, what, do you, what would you say to people who, because I speak to a lot of people who are thinking about having children, but they're worried that their own mm-hmm. mental health issues, their own anxiety or depression... They might just not have children because of that, or they're worried about passing that on. I think if someone's worried about it, I think
1: that's quite a good sign, because it means they're aware of it, so they'll think about it. So they're probably safer than people that never think about that or worry about it, really. There's no guarantees. There's no guarantee of um, a safe pregnancy. There's no guarantee that you might be the most uh, empathetic, um, tolerant hundred parent in the world and your child still might have mental health problems you know there's no guarantees I mean the environment helps an awful lot and we can do what we can to make the environment our, ch- our children land in uh, as positive as possible but there's still no guarantees
2: So the fact that we're maybe thinking about it and worrying about it could be a good thing that we care. Yeah, I mean, I can
1: can remember once I said to my psychotherapy supervisor, I'm not sure I can do this, this is so difficult about my work as a psychotherapist. She said, that's an excellent sign, it's the confident ones I worry about. And I immediately (laughs) felt better, and I was just trying to give that to parents and other parents. I mean, we don't know whether we can do it or not, um, but, you know biology and hormones will make us want to reproduce so we probably will anyway
2: yeah I suppose with anxiety sometimes we're trying to control things and we think oh I need to you know control how I'm passing stuff on to my child or worrying as a way of trying to control but of course a lot we can't control no maybe we that's can't. just accepting that
1: Sorry about the oh, cat perfect. now actually being <laughs> verbal
2: on us. Getting ready for some attention. Is there anything else? I'm sure there's I mean there's loads of things, but is there any other, other advice that you'd have for people yeah. like, listening? My
1: number one bit of advice is remember your child is not a project to perfect, is not something you get right or you ruin. A child is a person to relate to, a person to have a relationship with to be with
2: that's beautiful beautiful reminder definitely thank you so much for talking to me thank you very efficient I think everyone should read this book and you're not going to say I'm in my pajamas without any makeup <laughs> on in a messy kitchen that's how perfect I am that's how good podcasts are that's fine you know no, not on telly right now um, the book is called the bit the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did and it's available in all the bookshops I hope so now (laughs) and um, are there other ways that people can find you I know we've just talked about not using social media but Um, yeah I do I do turn on on my
1: computer Um, I'm on Instagram at the book you wish I'm on Twitter at Philippa P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A underscore Perry and uh, I've got a public Facebook page Philippa Perry
2: Brilliant, brilliant. So I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much thank for
1: you.
2: talking to me. Thank you. So thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you think of this episode. Let me know on Instagram. I'm at Chloe Brotheridge. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do consider sharing it with someone that may benefit from it and give it a share on Instagram or on social media if you loved it and you would love to help me spread the word about it. also just want to let you know that I am working with people one-on-one using coaching and hypnotherapy and I have a couple of spots available to work with new clients. So if you want to find out more about that, you can head over to karmaucom forward slash work with me. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a brilliant week.